Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there who are watching this today. We want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. My name is Jim Barcliffe. I'm pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship, and we are glad you have joined us during this time of live streaming. We just had uh, worship in here, and uh, in the future, we're going to look at trying to, to stream our uh, worship services also. We have people back in the church today, and I want to welcome all of you here. <clears throat> happy Mother's Day. You reflect upon mothers, obviously, I think the backbone of any society is our moms. Dads play such an important role also, and we'll have Father's Day coming up soon, but mothers play such a role in that as far as what they do and the sacrifice that many of, many times they don't get any types of thanksgiving or any types of thanks and, and congratulations about this and that. They just do it behind the scenes, and they, they do it for years and years. I had a wonderful mother who took care of my brother and I, and uh, I just thank the Lord for, for her and my father. Uh, what a blessed mother that she was. But actually, when you think about uh, mothers, how they serve, they serve unselfishly. They give themselves away over and over again, from cleaning dirty diapers to getting up in the middle of the night and um, saying, hey, you've got to go in and feed the baby. You know, I remember when our daughter Allison would, would start crying in the middle of the night, and I'd punch my my wife and say, you're going to get up and feed her, right? Okay, because she was breastfeeding. And I said, you're the only one that can do that. Okay, you got to get up. But she unselfishly got up uh, in the middle of the night and did that repeatedly. Obviously, we're reaping the blessings now because of uh, our daughter and who she is and her walk with the Lord. Amen. And also her, their sacrifice. They sacrifice all the time, don't they? I think that's just one of the things with mothers that that are so important, they sacrifice. And again, uh, they, they, they go unselfishly and, and sacrificially uh, sacrifice on a regular basis and, and really persevere uh, through life in that way. And even as our children have gotten older, we look at their lives and we pray for them. And I know mother's prayers are so powerful. Everybody praying, yes, but something about a mom praying for her children, I believe it's so powerful. And so I encourage you mothers who are watching this today, to continue to pray and cry out to the Lord for your children. If they're walking with the Lord, God bless them and so forth. But God bless them if they're, they're trying to find their own way and trying to do that. The, the prayers of a mom are powerful in directing the paths of their children. But also, we know mothers suffer. They suffer through things. They give up things, and, and they suffer uh, tremendously and have over, uh, obviously, from the very first mother and all. So I just thank the Lord for, for each one of them, uh, all of you out there today. I pray it'll be a happy Mother's Day in spite of what we're having to go through in this coronavirus. I want to encourage you to continue to pray that God would stop this coronavirus. Continue to pray uh, as we know, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if, if my people will humble themselves, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, uh, then you will hear from heaven, Father, and you will forgive their sins, and you will heal their land. Pray over this country. Pray for our, our leaders that they would be given wisdom, divine wisdom, not human wisdom, but divine wisdom to be able to give the right, make the right decisions as they, we journey through life in this country today. I just believe we're going to see a, a major outpouring of God's Spirit, and I pray that will happen. And I pray that it will happen soon. We need the Lord desperately. Pray for those that are sick and pray for healing. Pray for each one. Pray for healing as you pray for those. Pray for, for covering over our cities, over our, our churches, over our communities, our neighborhoods, and our families. Pray that plead the blood of Jesus over them, within them, uh, and around them as a shield of protection. I pray that every day for the churches even the church at large, because we're all a part of the body of Christ. And one of our ladies just said just a moment ago that in this uh, isolation that we've had to face, we understand more about the fact that the church is not necessarily just here in those four walls, that we are the church. And as we step out and we share the love of Jesus with other people, and you see that happening on a regular basis where people are being fed that don't have any food and uh, they've lost their jobs, and they're putting these uh, foodstuffs in the back of their cars, and, and they're lines and lines of people that 
are, are going through that, to be able to pick up food, to have that. We have a food pantry here at Lighthouse Fellowship, and also we're actually feeding the first responders here on Mondays and Wednesdays and Friday nights, and we have volunteers that are working with feeding first responders, the police officers, and EMS and so forth come in, and we fix them a meal. So we're preparing, we're, we're helping other people, and that's what the body of Christ is all about, is helping other people. So continue to pray and continue to do what God has called us to do at this time. I think we're learning even more to get out of our shells, although we're sometimes behind four walls, but we're learning to give ourselves away in different ways. So whatever way God has called you, I want to encourage you to follow through with the leading of God's Spirit in your life. And so uh, I know that it's going to work out. I believe that with all my heart. I just want to say today is a special message. And in the last two weeks, we've been talking about your great grace. And this is the third part of that. It's amazing grace. We just sang a song, Amazing Grace. It's amazing, isn't it? The grace of God. And I actually thought of this particular message when I listened to a contemporary Christian a song by Matt Redman called Your Grace Finds Me. And we'll talk about this today uh, in the last in this series about your great grace. So before we begin, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come together in the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord, today. We bless you in the name of Jesus. And I bless all who are watching this today in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to speak. We need a word from you, Lord. And we know when we come to you hungry, we come to you sincerely and ask, Lord, for these things that, Lord, we know that you respond with a heart of compassion for us because that's who you are. We ask you today, Father, that you would speak through this word. We ask that you would anoint the message here, that it would touch people's hearts and lives, that people would actually, during this particular time of message and beyond, that people would be get set free. People would be set free. Jesus came to set the captive free. And we praise you. We ask you today, Father, to do miracles in our midst. We pray when, when people gather in your name, we know that impossible things will be done because of you. And so today, we right now yield our hearts and our lives and ask that you would open the ears of our hearts that we may hear. We ask that you would open our eyes that we may see. We ask that you would open our mind that we may understand and that you would open our hearts that we may obey. And so, Lord, do a mighty work in this time together. We ask your blessing, your covering, but also, Father, just the word of God that pierces our hearts, that touches us, encourages us, that gives us guidance through life would truly be manifested. We love you. We praise you. Come, Holy Spirit. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture comes from Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul is talking here. And he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he says, By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We too may live a new life. We've been talking about God's great grace. Your great grace finds me. Think about it. We talked about it in the sense of that God's grace is unconditional. Unconditional. And I want to stress that today because there's some things I want to talk about because we're leading up to what I talked about at the end of last week's message about exactly what does this mean in regards to how we live our lives. And I want to specify today something I believe will really be encouraged. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me this morning before I came into the service. And that is that he is imparting something so powerful in each of our lives. And those of you who are watching today, that he's imparting just the power of the Spirit of God to truly encounter the love of the Father. I was praying, and I pray that on a regular basis, that, that we would uh, have an encounter 
with the Father, an experience with the Father, and the Father's love for each one of us. When we encounter that love, we're changed. <laughs> we know that perfect love casts out all fear, the Bible says. And so something happens when we encounter that love. We know about the agape love of God because that's the knowledge of God's love. We know Jesus loves us, this, this that we do know. We've sung it since we were little children. But there's something about encountering actually the tenderness and, and the, the personal aspect of God in our lives. And at various times, he will do that in a Christian's life. But I believe it begins by, by asking him. A lot of what happens in the kingdom of God starts by asking God, asking and seeking and knocking. And you keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So I'd encourage you, Lord, I want to encounter you. I want to experience your love. I want to know you through through this. Not just about you, all those nothing we need to learn and know more about God, but that's encountering him, crossing paths with him, being touched in the depths of our being by his love. And so this is all unconditional, and he does this. But you see, it takes actually something that if, if we're not interested in God, and we continue to go about our own way and so forth, God will wait until we turn to Him. But when we turn to Him, even when we kind of crack the door of our hearts and we turn to Him, then He'll run to us the same like the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son said he finally came to his senses after he'd squandered it all, and we've all squandered it all, reality is, and that he, he turned and he went back. He said, maybe my father allow me to stay in the servants' quarters. Maybe... He'll just let me back in. Maybe sometimes that's the way we feel. And yet, in spite of that, you know what the father, the father ran to him and put the robe on him, the ring, and also the sandals, all symbolics of blessings from the kingdom of God. And so God is a loving father, he's, and he loves us and, and gives us grace and mercy every day. Grace today, first thing is, it's unconditional. You can't earn it, and I can't earn it. We talked about that last week. And the definition here, I'll read it to you. God's free and unmerited favor. Free and unmerited. You can't earn it. I can't. Shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. You know, sometimes, again, we feel like that, you know, we're doing pretty good. We haven't murdered anybody. We haven't done anything really bad. You know, what society claims to be bad and so forth. And maybe we haven't done this and that. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And maybe sometime we say, well, Lord, if you just help us just a little bit, we'll get over that hump towards our perfection and so forth. And you see, the reality is we're all just downright rotten sinners deserving of God's judgment. And it's only by His grace and His mercy. Until we really understand that, our relationship with our Father will not be all that He desires for it to be. You've got to realize that. And He's not obviously a demanding taskmaster type of father and saying, you know, you have to. But the reality of knowing who he is and knowing to reverence him, knowing to, to seek his face, we have to understand how low and the degradation of, of our sins and how dark and bleak our sin was until we came to forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but freely given to each one who received is that free gift of salvation. And all we do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners, just like you and me, who we, before we came to the Lord, we've been, obviously, we take on the righteousness of Christ. Instead, we give Him our guilt. We take on His perfect obedience. And, and isn't that good news? We take on His perfect obedience and we give, oh, Jesus Christ, we give Him all of our imperfections, certainly, here. So let's look at it just a moment as we review for the last two weeks here. We talked about how, you know, in God's grace, His love and acceptance and forgiveness is completely unconditional. It's given without regard to merit or worth or anything that we can achieve. We can't earn it, deserve it. We can only receive it in one way, and that's a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that simple? You see, but the pride of man's heart keeps them from coming and, and yielding their hearts to Jesus Christ. And many will say no, but one day they'll face the judgment. But you and I have an opportunity of sharing that love with people. You and I have, have the opportunity of modeling what Jesus Christ, allowing the life of Jesus to live through us that other people may see who Jesus is, you see. We are his representatives here. We represent God. He has left us here 
for that very purpose, certainly. And to have that relationship, Jesus came and walked on this earth. He had communion with his Father. He got away early in the morning and prayed and sought the Father's uh, heart and what he was to do that particular day. And he was touched by his phileo love, I'm sure, many, many times because he needed that. He was facing persecution, rejection, people rejecting this free gift of salvation. And it's unmerited. It's free. Many people turned away from the very beginning, even when Jesus walked on this earth, they turned away from that grace, and many will turn away this very day. I'll read here from the book of Romans, chapter 3 again. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his own sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, listen, that we become conscious of sin. The law of do's and don'ts and don't do this and that actually makes us conscious that we cannot keep the law. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. This righteousness from, G from God comes through a faith in Jesus Christ to all who will believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, God will never declare any of us righteous because of our good works. We talked about it last week in Isaiah chapter 64 that even the best of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And I, I gave what the actually Hebrew, the Hebrew meaning is actually real emphatic about what it is, like dirty jockey shorts. They're, they're filthy. You know, does that make it more understandable when you talk that way? That's the way the Hebrew says it. So what we try to give God are, are those dirty underwear, uh, as far as that goes. He, he will not accept that we're not declared righteous because of those acts that we do and those works. Why? Why is that? It's because we fall short of God's standard, which is flawless obedience. And there was only one that actually stood that way. His name is Jesus. Jesus. That's why you love Jesus. He paid it all. And all to Him that we owe, certainly here. It's only through faith that we can claim that perfect righteousness of Christ as our own and then be welcomed into fellowship with God. Not only have we seen that God's grace is unconditional, undeserved, unearned, and unmerited, we've also seen, very interesting here, that God's grace is unlimited. Unlimited. We talked about last week, you know, some of the most horrendous sins and people that have, have, have somehow committed all these things in, in society and the things that, I mean, just grip our hearts when we see it happening, and even the abuse of children <clears throat> that we see happening. And people who who have uh, committed heinous acts and so forth. And I, I, I propose to you, what would happen if that person really came to a sincere faith in Jesus Christ, asked forgiveness, and Jesus Christ came into their life, forgave them of their sins? What would happen to that person when they take their last breath? That person will go to heaven just like you and I would. His grace is unlimited. You know, some of those things that we think are just so horrific and all that. God forgives us because of His grace. And you go, yeah, but I've been a little bit better than they have. No, you haven't. Because according to the scriptures, it says that all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You haven't been any better. You're just as unholy as they are. And, and you cannot obviously meet up to God's requirement, which is flawless obedience. Can't do it. It's impossible. Try to do it. And that's what, that's what we do, don't we? We judge according to, to our culture, our society standard. You see, Jesus has a different standard. God has a different standard. And the only way that we can meet that standard is by receiving Jesus because of his amazing grace. He just hands it to us. Now, some of you may be listening today and you've wondered, hey, I can't, I, I, I feel tired. I'm worn out. I just can't, I can't really just uh, come up and, and meet God in that way and so forth. And you feel that way. I want to invite you today to turn your heart to God. He'll receive you. When you humble yourself, the Bible says he gives grace. He gives that unmerited favor. When you say, I can't do it, God said, good, because I can. When you turn your heart to him and you say, I don't understand this stuff Jim's talking about today. I don't understand this and I read the Bible or maybe and it didn't make sense to me. I want to tell you, you want it to make sense to you? Open your heart to Jesus. He'll illumine the word and he'll speak to you through his word and into your heart. And so I want to encourage you to do that today. Not because you've tried to just struggle to, to gain favor from God, because you never will. Nothing you can do. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news here. 
but it's unlimited. It's powerful enough to forgive us of the most grievous, heinous sins there ever was. I thought about it in terms of this, and this is just me thinking of, about it and some of my thoughts about it. And that is just a little tiny speck of Jesus' blood is enough to forgive the world of all its sin, you know. And I know that's not the way necessarily you think about it. But you see, God, the blood of Jesus is powerful. His blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins, makes us holy. We exchange our unrighteousness for the righteousness of Jesus. That's that great exchange that we know theologians talk about. He exchanges that, just takes it away from you. And your robe, you put on the robe. And so when God looks at you, once you receive Jesus, he looks at you and sees you the same way he sees Jesus. That's good news. That's great news. And your grace, great grace has found me when that happens here. Obviously, makes us completely holy in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus' final words on the cross is what? Everybody knows it. It's finished. It's finished. And it truly is finished, you see. All that remains is for us to receive and believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest news there ever has been, the greatest news there ever will be because you see the eternal aspect is the most obviously precious there is. This life is real temporary here. I was thinking about how old I was and, you know, thinking about you never know when God will call you home. But I was thinking about it this morning and I said, Lord, you know, I, I want to live for you until you call me home. But we don't know how long we have. None of us know. And certainly when we have these uncertainties like this virus and other ills out there or even the flu, the regular flu, or even getting on the freeway or... or, or Something happened tragically. It doesn't make any... We never know, but it's relatively short compared to eternity. So I talk to you today, not only about your life here on this earth, that God will help you and He'll give you abundant life. He'll give you a life where you can say, as we came in this morning, this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it, that we can be glad that God has given us another day. You see, I talk to you about that, but then again, I talk to you about eternity from now and forevermore, forever and ever and ever, on and on and on. And it's because of His, His amazing grace. The same grace that, that saves us, sustains us, and gives us strength to make it through each day. You look back, you'll go, I don't know how I made it through that day. There were some real challenges and so forth. If you really ponder it, I believe you'll look and you'll be able to give God praise for His grace. I thank Him at night when I lay my head down. Two things I thank Him for, certainly. And that is for salvation, salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And I thank him for his grace every day. Thank him for his grace, certainly here. So we see here that he paid it all. He did it all here. And our guilt is transferred to Christ and his righteousness, his perfect. Jesus never sinned. He came and walked on this earth. He faced the same things you and I faced. In fact, he faced a lot more difficult things than you and I did actually, but he had perfect obedience here. And that perfect obedience, again, has been transferred to each one of us if you believe and you have faith in Jesus Christ here. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It's finished. It's done. Isn't that good news? It's finished. It's done completely here. Now, when the unconditional and the unlimited uh, come together, what do you think the type of response that I get sometimes when I preach a message like this? What do you think happens? The question is, and people will say, Jim, does that mean that I can just keep on sinning? Does that mean that I just keep on doing the things that I know are not right in God's eyes? I'm a Christian. I'm born saved again. I'm talking about Christians. Does that mean that I can keep on doing those things and and obviously God will forgive me? Well, let me put it this way. If grace is unconditional and grace is unlimited, what would your answer be? It's either unlimited or either it isn't. Yes, you're forgiven. But let me say this in a way, obviously. 
in a way. You are. Yes, you are. But let me also talk about what is going on in this situation because Paul addresses this over and over again in, uh, in the Word of God here. Yes, you are forgiven here. So the question is, why should I be good? Why should I be good? Why not just send up a storm? Do whatever I like to do if God's going to forgive me anyway. I want to talk about that. And that is a valid question here, certainly. And one, again, that Paul faced during this time, written in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 3, also verse 8. Why not say, as we're being slanderously reported as saying, as some uh, claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Okay? And then Romans, again, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall then we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Other um, translations would say, no, God forbid. No, by no means here. So what is the unspoken, the unspoken assumption here behind this question? It, it actually assumes that the main reason people do the right thing is for the fear of consequences. The main thing, this is the assumption behind this, that people do the, do the right thing is because of the fear of the consequences here. It assumes that people restrain themselves from doing evil primarily because of the fear of punishment. Let me give you an example. Y'all have got children here. And they, all they, they're grown. But while you were raising them, you provided for them. You provided food. You provided clothing. You uh, took care of them. You provided a home for them over the head there. You, you didn't beat them, and you didn't uh, abuse them in any way here. In the state of Texas, there are child abuse laws that are there and so forth, and, and uh, we know those are in place, certainly. But what if I told you that the reason I take such good care, I have taken such good care of my children, is so that I won't risk violating any of these laws and perhaps be fined are actually put in jail. What if I told you that? You wouldn't believe me, would you? You'd know that actually that's not the reason why, because because I want to avoid a fine or, or jail term or so forth and taking care, you see. The assumption is that obviously the reason we do good things and the reason we respond in the right way is because of the fear of punishment here. So if I don't do this because of that fear of punishment, what is my motivation? Anybody? What's my motivation in that case? If it's not the fear of punishment, my motivation is love. My motivation of doing the right thing is love here. So let me ask you another question. Who is likely to take better care of their children? A parent who is motivated by love or one whose main concern is just doing enough to avoid prosecution? The one motivated by love. The one that is motivated by love here, certainly. In the same way, and I'm reflecting here, and I'm giving you an example, a parallelism here, what it is, in our walk with the Lord. In the same way, the motivation for a Christian to obey God is not to avoid punishment. But sometimes, you see, we slip into that, don't we? And what happens is we get into what's called legalism. We're doing all those right things, and we're trying to, to keep God's favor. We know He saved us by grace, but then we try to think one way or another, we do what's right to try to keep God's favor. And what happens then? What did we talk about? Then you get into works. And what are works like before a holy God? <laughs> Filthy rags, okay? And so the same thing happens here. And it's the same way with our Christian law, law our walk with the Lord here. No, the, the motivation for a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ to do what is right is love for God and love for their neighbor. A love for God. What does Luke chapter 10 say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's why it's important. Remember when they asked Jesus? They said all these commandments... What, what do we, how do we sum these things up? And, and Jesus said, all of the commandments are summed up in those two commandments. Why is it important? Why is it important? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself because a lot of people are going to oppose you. A lot of people are going to 
kind of rub you the wrong way. A lot of people are going to speak evil of you. A lot of people will put you down and they won't encourage you. A lot of people will do that. And God's telling you, no. I want you, if you're a disciple of the, my, Jesus Christ here, I want you to respond the way Jesus responded, out of love. Because motivation is love, certainly here. And uh, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The second here is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us. Listen, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for us, for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised to life here. So what is it that teaches us to forsake sin and to live godly lives, obviously? and somehow not the threat of condemnation, what is it? It's the promise of grace. The promise of grace. Seems reciprocal, doesn't it? Seems like it's kind of back and forth. And we love, obviously, because why? He first loved us. He loves us. But out of that love here, it certainly, it isn't the fear of being rejected by God or somehow losing our salvation. It's the love of Christ. And the more we understand the depth and the intensity of God's great love for us, the more we will want to obey. Why is it that I've taught on that phileo love of God? It's because through experience, experience complements what you learn here. We learn and we study and we grow, but we need to experience God's love for us, His tenderness for us, His love. He's a Father to us. Why wouldn't He show us experientially His tenderness? You see, the Western church has said, oh my goodness, turn away. Don't talk about any experience because you may get emotional. It's too emotional here. And emotional emotions are fickle. Yes, they are in that sense. But when you're touched by holy God and His tenderness, I want to tell you today, it changes you. You understand the reality of God. That's how we can be obedient to Christ. That's why we can say we don't sin anymore. Why? It's because we've encountered the love of the Father. We've experienced Him. And we don't no longer fall into sin, repetition, and habitual. I told you some time ago, I started looking and I said, what is it about addictions and habits and all these things that are in Christians' lives? We know that uh, they, they, sometimes they just keep popping up. And you do along for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden, bam, it comes back again. And I began to read even psychological psychologists and what they've written about it. And they name a couple of things, really. But the last thing they, they name there is, and they said, you must know the love of God. Now, they may just be saying, yeah, intellectually. I'm talking about in your heart of hearts. You know, the apostle uh, Paul, he prayed a prayer, and he said this in Ephesians chapter 3. Lord, I keep praying that you'll strengthen our inner man with all power that we'll know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It goes beyond our intellect. It goes as heart knowledge. is down deep. That's why we obey Him. If you've encountered the Lord, you will not want to sin. You will not want to do anything that displeases Him. Anything to disrupt your relationship with Him. And obviously there's forgiveness there, certainly. And I'll tell, say this to all of you listen to this. There's forgiveness. Run to the Father. It's unlimited. Run to Him. But you, when you are touched experientially by God Almighty, it changes your life here. In John 14, if you love me, listen to this. You obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, He is the one who loves me. Let me say it again. And Jesus is saying, whoever here has my commands and he obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. It's loving. It's loving the Father. And I'll say this, and I'm going to repeat it twice. And let me state it because it's very, very important. The degree to which you're seeking to walk in obedience to Christ is the degree to which you'll love him. You'll want to obey Him will be the love 
that obviously in that sense experiencing him and wanting to obey him. Last night we went out and we went to Olive Garden. This is not an advertisement for Olive Garden, although it could be. But we went in, they're socially distancing in the tables the way they were sitting. Cindy and I had kept our grandson Rex on Friday night. Our daughter Allison, she called and said, could you keep him Saturday? Also, we've got this work to try to, to work with their jobs and so forth. And we said, oh, yeah, it would be a delight if we do. And it always is. And so yesterday afternoon, she called and said, let's go get something to eat. And so we went to Olive Garden. And they set us at a table off to the side and all, and they were wearing masks and doing all the, the right things and abiding by the laws and some of the regulations and so forth. And this has just been 24 hours that Rex's mother and father had not seen him. And so we sit in a booth, and I looked over, and his father, Jeremy, was over there, and they were having a, a real deep conversation. And Jeremy was kissing on Rex and just kissing on him. And I looked, and I thought, he's going to just kiss him to death. He's just going to love on him and kiss him to death, okay? And I, I, he just kept on and on. I said, it's only been 24 hours that he hadn't seen him. And here he is. He's got him over there. He's cuddled with him, and they're talking, and, and he's kissing him and, and talking and all these things and so forth, getting him to eat and do this and stuff. And I was thinking, my goodness, what in the world is going on? But let me tell you what it did. It brought to mind about our Heavenly Father. I thought, isn't that great? Can't you see it? Our Heavenly Father, he just lavished. The Bible says that he's lavished the love of Christ on us. You know, I use Safeguard. I don't know what y'all use it. I'm not going to do a poll here. But when I lavish Safeguard all over me, when I'm taking a shower in the morning, I mean, I'm covered with Safeguard. I'm lavished in that. And that's what the Bible says. He's lavished the love of Christ on us. Amen. And that's what will cause us and propel us and give us momentum to love Jesus and obey Him with all of our hearts and love Him because we know in our heart of hearts God has done something so personal with each one of us. You know, what about somebody just, he says, well, I'm not Jesus, yeah. You know, Jesus is, is, is my Savior and so forth, and yet they have no intentions of obeying the Lord. They have no intentions of doing that. And sometimes, and God knows our hearts, is His business, but let me tell you, there could be, there would be no genuine conversion there. And there, not be, there may not be some genuine faith that's there if they have no intentions of obeying the Lord. I'm talking about here in connection with that unlimited love and forgiveness and grace of the Lord, right? Okay? There's got to be a change in your heart. If somebody says that they know Jesus, their lives have got to be a change. It does not mean that we're perfect, okay? And it does not mean that we won't sin and stumble and fall. First John talks about that. But what it means is there's something happened in your life. When true conversion takes place in your heart and my heart, you'll want to do something. may not be in every area, and maybe God is, is delivering you in certain areas of your life after you've come to Jesus, but it will mean that you'll want to obey Jesus. It'll be that your life changed. There's something about your attitude. There's something about, not perfection, obviously, but it means that you'll want to obey the Lord here. Jude chapter 1 says that for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Many people today, there are people that are falling away from the Lord also. I'm reading things about them. They're falling away. And I believe that obviously God can re restore. And God is a, a God of restoration. I believe that today. But let me tell you, because things haven't turned out the way that they thought, and maybe sometimes they've lost loved ones, or life has really thrown them a curveball, and they've wandered away, they've strayed, and the enemy has captured them, and they've dropped back into that immorality. They've dropped back into that and they deny that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. They're saying that maybe it's just some kind of a religious thing. Maybe here, we don't. We, once we die, that's it. And let me tell you, that's the biggest lie the devil can set forth in anybody's heart. They wander away from the Lord. These men have come in, they've abused it, the grace of God. So can this doctrine of grace be abused? Of course it can. Sure it can. But the reality is, it is unmerited favor, completely. You can't earn it, and I can't earn it. So if there's one thought in my mind or your mind that somehow we can earn this salvation and something we can do, we can do penance, 
Or maybe we can help people at the food bank. Or maybe somehow we can do this and that and so forth. If that's where you are in this, then you've missed what really grace is. It's unmerited, unconditional, it's unlimited. But if you have the Lord in your heart, you see, that love will compel you to be obedient to him and do what he wants to do. The people today, I believe, will stand before the Lord there the day and, and he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. And you know that scripture that talks about that. And God will say, get away. I didn't know you at all. Again, you work because you are saved. You don't work to get saved. Does that make sense? You work because you are saved. You love the Lord. And the more you obey, and, and I'm not saying go out here and do every religious thing you can do. I'm talking about listen to the, to the Spirit of the Lord speak to you. Let Him speak and whisper. Let Him speak to your heart and show you and direct you into what you are to do because we're all, we all have gifts. We all have particular callings and we need to funnel and channel that, 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 those talents and those, those gifts and that power into where God wants us to be. That's what it's all about. Yes, it is. You see, many today, they have no love for the Lord. They want to do what they want to do. Many people today, all these things have, have uh, come in and creeped in. We see it in our society. You see it and I see it here. You see, God's grace not only enables us to obey Christ, it also changes our hearts. It transforms our desires. We don't want to do this and that. doesn't mean you won't stumble into sin. It may mean that you need deliverance. May mean that God is just calling you, have some people pray over you and deliver you from things that were in your past before you came to Christ. Or maybe somehow after you came to Christ, you picked these things up. You became, came, I call it luggage. You, you carried it and you're carrying it along. It's too heavy for you. And God just wants to set you free. You may need some people praying over you and we can pray for you here at Lighthouse Fellowship. Uh, come and visit and be a part of our congregation. We believe in the freedom that Christ gives here. You know, he changes us to where we want to do the things pleasing to God here. And so certainly, once somebody's saved, can they do anything they want and, and sin all they want and still be forgiven? Well, technically, yes, they can. But it's actually sort of like, I guess, oxymoron in saying that because you're not going to want to. You're going to want to change. You want to get delivered. You want to fight that, which is maybe it's hanging on. It's been there for a long time. And you want to fight that and get that out of your life. You don't give up. Once you stumble, you get back up again. You confess it to the Lord, and you run into the arms of Jesus. He's always there, too, but you don't give up. You don't give in. It's kind of like this, is that somehow, sometimes we stumble into sin, but don't get settled in. You may stumble into sin, but don't settle in. Don't let it settle in your heart. There's a battle going on. It's a spiritual warfare to take you down, that you won't be able to live the life that Christ has called you to live. He will not be uh, in as far as victorious in your walk with the Lord. You'll always be defeated. Maybe you just need people praying for you. Certainly, we can pray for you. Do what pleases Him. Will people abuse and misuse the doctrine of grace, using it to indulge in their own sinful activities? Yes, that's true. Always will be that. But we still preach amazing grace because amazing grace is amazing grace. You can't do anything to earn it. You know, when we get there to heaven, I always thought about in terms of when I stand before the Lord, and I'll realize, and, you know, I, somehow I came to the Lord, okay? You know, I was in rebellion to the Lord. And somehow God drew me and wooed me and so forth. And somehow, and I still say to this day, by His amazing grace that I said yes to Him, I still give Him the glory for my even say yes. I know we have a choice. I don't understand that. It's a mystery to me. But I believe even that. I'm saying, Lord, thank You for amazing grace that I even said yes to You. And I came out of that muck and mire that I was in. I believe it's grace, grace. From the beginning to the end, it's all grace, amazing grace. You know, all those questions theologically, I don't understand them all, and I don't have anything down put about this and that, but I know one thing. I'm grateful for God's grace. How about you? I'm grateful today. You know, uh, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What God 
prepared in advance for us to do. You work because you are saved. We do that. And we should have works. The book of James talks about that. Faith without works is dead. There will be some evidence of things happening in your life if you're saved today. There are people I believe are sitting in the church house and they've come to church all their lives and they've never really been converted. I don't know that, but God knows. And they've never really turned and they've never been regenerated. They've never been born again. And so today may be the day that you surrender your hearts to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to begin this journey with you. I want to know you. I'm realizing in what Jim has said over these last three weeks that it's not anything I can do to earn it, and I certainly have tried to all my life. And I realize now you're just offering it to me as a free gift. And that gift is being offered to each one of you today. Anybody who's never received Jesus Christ, that you can bow your head and bow your heart and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you are the Savior of the world. I ask you to come into my life and save me and be my Lord and my Savior. I no longer want to run my life independently of you. I want you as Lord and Master and King. If there's somebody here that in one way or another has made that decision, any way we can hear from you, certainly give us a call and, and let us know. Any way we can pray for you. And postings and so forth. We'll have more technology that's continuing to, I believe, uh, even get fine-tuned more and more any way we can do it. But know this, we'll pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his counsel upon you and give you peace. We work because, we're, because we are saved. We don't work to get saved. The greatest blessing and message here. When I always speak of our relationship with Jesus, you know I many times will use the, the terms intimacy with Jesus. And it is intimate, isn't it? It's not some type of religion to where I just sort of go through the motions and all and maybe come to church here a couple of times a week or whatever. It's intimacy. It's deep communion. And when you have that encounter with the Father, that communion that many, many church, many, many uh, facets of Christianity have started with, including the Friends Church, and communion with the Holy Spirit of God. We want that. I believe God's doing that. I believe he'll continue. I believe he's never stopped, in fact, to tell you the truth. And I believe he wants to do that even a greater measure as we seek his holy face here. Matt Ridman, he writes his song, Your Grace Finds Me. It's there in the newborn cry. There, there where a new child comes into this world. It's there in the light of every sunrise. It's there in the shadows of this light, your great grace. It's there on the mountaintop. You look and see the expanse of mountains. I was in mountains in West Virginia one time, and I looked, and all I could see were the tips of mountains, and I could tell, even then, from the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God and who he was. You, you know, sometimes you get out like that. You get in the stillness. And you just get quiet on your back porch. You can feel the stillness of God. It's there, your great grace here. It's there in every day. And it's in the mundane also. I say, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts so we may see your grace in, in those times of mundane that we're just kind of, man, everything is dry. Let us see your great grace there in the sorrow and the dancing. When things are sorrowful and, man, I'm dancing up a storm, Praise God, hallelujah, worship him, and so forth. It's there from the cradle, to, or creation to the cross. From creation to the cross. Then from the cross into eternity. Your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. It's there on the wedding day, such a celebration. Two lives coming together and joining themselves and cleaving to one another. It's there on that wedding day, but it's there also and the weeping by the graveside when there's been a loss. Many people have lost many people as a result of this coronavirus. So much so as they didn't have place to, to, put, to put them, funeral homes to put them in. And you know that even makes it even more difficult in their grief because it actually causes complicated grief, what's called complicated grief. They didn't have it. But there's grace at the weeping by the graveside. It's there in a very breath we breathe, your great grace. It's the same for the rich and poor. 
the same for the saint and for the sinner. Enough for this whole wide world. Your great grace. Oh, such grace. Grace, grace. Isn't that good news? I hope that in this series that we have maybe reflected upon how great grace is. Unmerited, unconditional, unlimited favor that God gives to his people. We come by grace and we're sustained and strengthened by grace. It's all grace. It's God's grace. And you know, when you meet people and, and all, and I was talking about earlier, you know, sometimes cause we're all different personalities. <laughs> we say things and do things, you know, and all this stuff because you put us all together and we rub shoulders one with another and all. And it's sometimes you look and you go, man, I wish that person would get, get, get their life right or whatever and so forth and, and all that. But yet you have to stop and say, Lord, your grace finds me. Your grace can find them. So I encourage you, ask God's grace to fill your, your home, your families, your hearts. And especially this time of happy Mother's Day, that God's grace would fill those families that will be gathering today. Great, his great grace finds us. Amen? Amen. Good word. Thank you, Lord. All right. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. There'll be a, a word. I just believe God is burning on our hearts, some really words that he's speaking. And I'm grateful to be a part of that, and I know you are also. So uh, continue to do as obviously you're being led and ask for God's protection and give God the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth, and thank you for your presence this day. You're an awesome God. You're, you're God just full of grace and mercy, dear Lord, and pouring that grace and mercy out in the hearts and lives of all of your people, dear God. Cross, same for the saint and for the sinner for the rich and for the poor, Lord. Your grace fills this whole wide world. Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see your great grace. Help us to see, Lord, that your great grace found us and pulled us out of that muck, out of that, and put our feet upon the rock. Oh, God, thank you and praise you. We ask again for healing for those that are sick, strength and power for those that are weak and afflicted, and also deliverance for those who are bound up and the slavery of the things that Satan has bound them up in. We pray that today. I pray in the name of Jesus. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.